Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. I saw by my eyes my future seven generations ahead and seven generations back, and because of this, I know which way to go. This statement captures the essence of my conversation with Hindo Ibrahim, the chair for the Association for Indigenous Women and Peoples of Chad. Speaking to Hindu is like speaking to nature herself, whose ability to adapt and to react to the changing environment and climate is as fluid, simple, direct, and natural as breathing. Like many indigenous peoples, Hindu has been trained since childhood in the cultural intelligence of her people. She knows the land. She's learned how to observe the animals. She's sensitized to the climate, and she views her home not just as the family house, but as the wider community and bioregion. It's her nature, it's the natural intelligence, the cultural intelligence she was gifted by her family. Hindu is fortunate to be born into a place and people who value above else their cultural and ecological heritage and who teach a way of directly sensing in the world with my own eyes, valuing every person and every living being as part of the natural ecosystem and making decisions about how to act seven generations forward and seven generations back. In our conversation, Hindu shares with us how each of us, whether we live in a suburban city or an urban environment, can also learn how to awaken our cultural intelligence, to respect every member of our society, the gardener, the farmer, the grocer, the health worker, as home keepers. We can evolve our cultural intelligence to value every person as an essential worker in supporting our livelihoods and to value nature as essential to regenerating sustainable economies. I have here with me Hindu Ibram, who is the director of the Indigenous Peoples for Chad. Welcome. Thank you. So you've been all over the place, and you're so colorfully and beautifully, sort of iconically, let's say, representative of the, the indigenous people's voice and values everywhere you go. Maybe just to, to start out, share with us from an indigenous person's perspective. You know, are, are, are the business leaders, the political leaders, are they really integrating into their conversation and into their ideas, indigenous values? Are they, are they really listening? Thank you very much for having me, Catherine. Of course, as you said, is it these leaders who are in Davos integrating indigenous culture? Or if they are listening from us, I can say not really. Uh oh. Having just like me here and then talking to them, telling them since like uh, it's my four year to come here, telling them there is emergency. It's time to act now. And then they still like going very slowly. I can say they're not listening to me. But in the other hand, I can say they are moving a little bit because for the first time this year, they put climate and environment in general in the heart of Davos. As his 50th anniversary, that's very important that they understand there is no sustainable business without sustainable planet. And what's meaning planet meaning also indigenous peoples. So they have to listen now and they have to listen more, I think. And so those that are listening, because I'm sure they are, and like you said, especially in the global risk report from the WEF, we have now biodiversity featured as a global risk, as well as climate again for, I think, the third year and environmental degradation, natural disasters. So there really is, I feel, like that conversation happening. But 
of those that are listening, what are they listening to? Like, what, what really is resonating with the people that you're talking to here when you share something about how the indigenous peoples are evaluating sort of where we are in this crisis moment with climate and nature? In every conversation that I'm having, private or panel or uh, media conversation with uh, people of WEF, I try to explain to them what is the climate change impact right now at the indigenous communities. We can be from the coastal areas, from the forest, mountain, or savanna, Sahel, my peoples, where are we are experiencing right now. So I try to explain to them how we are impacted and how we are acting without waiting for any solution coming from the outside. And for this kind of conversation, they are far from it, so they just like listen from what I'm saying. And then they start saying like, is it true? I'm like, okay, go there, because get out from your box and go to the real people's life, and you can see what I'm saying is a reality. And if you don't want to get out and go there, look at what's happening around the Amazon forest, Congo forest, even Siberia forest, and now we have a big catastrophe in Australia. So it's not coming from the natural way of life. It's coming from the drought that continues, from abuse of the extraction of the natural resources, and you are responsible because you are using it for your own business. And that resonates to them to understand it's time for action. So that's right. conversation I'm having with them here. Right. So it's a matter of going to Fiji and seeing how the sea level rises and that the president is actually buying land in other yes. countries in order to ensure that his migration of people that he anticipates happening will have another place to live. It's about going to Chad and seeing that the, the lake has disappeared and this whole way of life exactly. for the fishers. And so those that can't then travel, I mean, how it, it really sounds to me like we're really needing to create more visual stories so that... You can see exactly the impacts, but also, as you suggested, that people are acting now in their local communities to act in a culturally intelligent way, so adapt and build their own resilience. Can you share some of those stories of how people in situ in their own communities are building their own climate resilience? I think it's very important for those who are not traveling because the world is very diverse. Mm -hmm. Each continent has its own diversity. And we cannot see everything in the TV or everything listening through internet or whatever. The species who are not covering by the internet or the people who do not get access to the electricity have the real history of the nature and they cannot share that through the normal channel that they have. Right. So I really encourage them if they do not travel to travel outside them home. Mm -hmm. to go to the place where there is forest, to go visit a, a small hold of farmers. If they're having a big industry of farm, it's not the same with those who have a, a small uh, farms coming from the community. And let me tell you the history of our peoples. That's how also we learn our indigenous intelligence, not artificial intelligence. So these centuries and centuries of knowledge is coming from the observation of the nature. The grandmother and grandfather from Pacific 
I can say the grandmother of my uh, brother Hazali uh, can tell you after a hurricane hitting them islands where they can get a food and fresh water for them community. They cannot wait for the first aid to fly food or water from someone, somewhere else. They used to do that since a centuries, and they know those crafts. They study them. They understand them. And they know also how to work away before this hurricane coming because they understand the behavior of the animal that's changing immediately. Or senses the hurricane coming. So they exactly. actually are very so sensitized to their environment and other organisms in their environment. Yes. They could see that, what was it? Is it the beetle? As well as when you come in my community, like you can see when it's going to rain or when the season going to change. We know that without having an app in our phone who can show us it's going to be <laughs> raining or not, not the weather apps. You can get it in your phone, but it can be 50% failure of information. But our information in our communities can give you 100%. And I give you just a simple example. If like it's going to rain on the next couple of hours. We just observe the insect. Those insects take them eggs inside them homes. They know exactly that rain is going to come. They don't want to lose the very fragile eggs that can be flawed even if it is more rain. So when they start taking them, we know exactly we have to pack our stuff because the rain is going to come. Even the sky is clear. And those knowledge, we cannot develop them at the school or reading in the books. We can just develop them when we observe this insect. There are a million of insects in the in this earth, but we know those species who are doing this exact sign of the weather cast, as well as the wind. Like for the people, it's like the wind, and for the scientists, they can say like the height of the wind is going to be like uh, uh, 10 kilometers an hour, uh, 100 kilometers an hour. They can tell you that. But for us, it's not like uh, wind is running or whatever. If the wind coming from the north to south, if it's coming from the angle between the north and south, if the wind is heavy, where you can sweat, or if the the wind is dry, then the direction. So all this giving us exact information of the weather cast, and that's helped us to know if the season is changing or not. Right, and I'm imagining, too, if you have a hot, dry wind and it's for a persistent amount of time, then you can imagine that this would potentially cause erosion for farming, and so then you need to sort of have that foresight to create barriers around an agricultural field so you have this protected area for your food just as the, the insects with their eggs. And so it, I love listening to you because I feel like I learned so much about what it means to just be connected to nature. Everybody's talking about being connected to nature, but actually it's those people who not just tell the stories generation after generation, but actually spend time in a natural environment and sort of allow their senses to awaken to the different smells, to the insights by observing different animals and their migration behavior or, like you said, with the the eggs. And so how can we increase that sort of 
cultural or indigenous intelligence amongst people in this, in this sphere, in their own environments. What would you share with our audience about how to awaken this cultural indigenous intelligence within themselves? I think firstly, they have to help us keep what we do have. All the knowledge that indigenous peoples do have in these earth need to be preserved. Okay. Need to be transferred through the next generations. Yes. Because this is a treasure. When yes. one of the indigenous leaders get murdered because he's protecting his environment, it's not only like one individual human being get killed. It's a knowledge of generation who get killed with him. So we need to stop the criminalization of mm-hmm. indigenous peoples mm-hmm. on them land. Right. We have to protect the rights of indigenous peoples by recognizing the land that we are occupying. Like uh, you can go to a tropical forest, the indigenous people land is the most diverse ecosystem than a national park where they put and millions of dollars and millions of peoples as guard to do not like uh, invest or cut the forest is not diverse as an indigenous land as diverse. So all what we know is we know how to live in harmony for other peoples to benefit from us and then to also come back to this cultural heritage to live in harmony with the nature, they have to protect us. They have to understand that we are a value add for this nature, that's the most important part. And secondly, for us, we use not only like when we said the next generation in my community is not like one generation after me, like not my kids or not my grandkids. We talk about at least seven generations. Like myself, I know the names of the seven generation of my father. So you have, you must know your father, your, your grandfather, grand grandfather until it gets seven. You must know them, know them names, know them history, know how they live, where they live, what they do. So yes. if I knew that, and I have to save the next seven generation that coming from my side, my kids, my grandkids, and grand, 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 grand. So when we have this long-term of visions, I think we get our cultural long-term heritage. It's not about tomorrow. So everyone each in this planet, they can be indigenous or not indigenous. They can be from the Western culture where now the technology is repressing a lot. They do not see them family, just calling them in the phone. And then after like uh, some months, like brothers and sisters cannot see each other. It's not a way of life. It's not the society. Who we are, we are human beings. We are one species of the planet as many other, the trees, the insects. We are just one species. So why not we cannot come back to our social life? Why we leave this very important relationship between us, the solidarity? I think this is so beautiful what you say. And I, as someone who is just recently really reclaiming my own cultural history, I've been looking back to my Croatian and Celtic roots. It's a wonderful journey. And what it does is it makes you feel like you belong. 
And I know in a world now where people feel isolated and alone and, you know, anxiety and depression and mm -hmm. suicide rates are going up, you know, one of the antidotes to or cures for, I think, this sort of sense of isolation is really remember who you are. You are part of a heritage. You do belong. I feel like what's really beautiful about this generation is that there is this sense of I am part of also the biosphere. This generation, um, and I think all of us are sort of awakening to this, that we are a part of yeah, the, the natural world as well. So we're part of that sort of living history, that 3.8 billion years of evolution. It's representative also in our DNA and in our own biome and biology, but also in the wisdom, like you suggest, the indigenous peoples are really understand this and understand that it has important value to continuing to uh, sustain a way of living in harmony. And I think that's the only one thing that those peoples here in Davos need to understand. Yes. It's not only money in the life. But so when they value. go back to the seventh generation and then they think about the next seventh generation, I think they will think about who they are and how they make them life. And okay, maybe it's time to give all the equity, justice to all the peoples of the planet at the same level. Maybe when they go back seven generations, they was not engineer. They was not like the global cheapers. They was not like speaking English or whatever language. They was just depending from whatever that they have on this earth give them. Only what this earth give them, not only what they create. And then they can think about how the climate impact coming. And they can learn from this past to build a better future. We say in my community, if you don't have past, you don't have a future. And right. if you have a old casserole that can cook the best food than the new one. So why not learn from the past that they have? And that's what unique indigenous people have. That's why you can see indigenous people from every place. We are so proud to wear our traditional clothes, to be ourselves, to speak our language. When we go back home, we sit on the floor with our communities, we drink the water who is duty that they are drinking, we do it with them because we know we are coming from where, who we belong to. We belong to the nature. We have to respect to the, the nature. It's the duty to protect this nature. It's not only in talk, but in practice. So that's thing they have to learn it from indigenous peoples and make them life better, and the business will be really much better prosperity. When we have a crisis that befalls us, like you know deforestation and these massive fires, and we need to figure out a way to regenerate these landscapes, when we have these ambitious goals and targets like the one trillion tree planting initiative, we have the right approach to planting the trees and that we understand it's about the relationship to the forest and this multi-generational viewpoint. Can you elaborate on some of the insights that you shared with a very attentive, I thought, audience who really, myself, you know, awakened to the fact that it's not just about, you know, digging a hole and putting in a tree and saying, amen, there's something more to planting these trees. Plant a yeah. tree and you don't plant it properly, the right tree in the right soil, you know, your efforts can be useless if you don't engage people you know, in these efforts as well, then they don't have a sense of ownership or stewardship. I think the initiative of One Trillion Tree 
is the bigger initiative that coming out from Davos 50th anniversary or annual year, we can tell I that, agree. or 2020 or I whatever. Agree. This is a very good initiative, but it's not have to be in numbers. Environment restoration is not in numbers of the trees. It's not only like the science or technology where they can go and plant the trees. You cannot plant the trees tonight and wake up tomorrow, you have a tree there. No, it cannot work like that. And you cannot draw the tree plantation by a drone who can put them and then the next day it will be okay, the drone will take care of the trees. It cannot work like that. It's the nature. So nature takes time and nature is a system. When we say all what we have is a different ecosystem because it's a system, it's a different species coming on it. Plantation of those trees must be by the peoples who are caring about the environment, who are living on the environment. We have so different kind of the soil. We have so different kind of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I got one concrete example of the tree plantation or forest restoration. I went to Colombia, I visited indigenous communities where they used to have them land who took it for the cattle and destroyed it at all. And when they get the stewardship on them land, they say they have to rebuild it. So what they did, they create a corridor between the primary forest mm -hmm. to the space where they wanted to create this new secondary forest. And then the land starts to be refertilized. And then they get them on nursery with indigenous trees that they know who are adapt, who cannot damage the environment, who can allow the insect to come back, who can allow the bird to come back, the bigger animals, smallest animals to come back to get the habitat. Right. And then they start like planting them by a community of people who knowledgeable on how to plant the trees. You know, indigenous people's knowledge is not like a magic or just like we are talking about the insect or whatever. When we are building our homes, we know where to put a window. We know where to put a door because we study the sun, the moon. We study the season change. And we know exactly without AC, without heater, if the season change, how we can get the right temperature when we sleep. It is the same thing with the trees. How you can plant them, where you can plant them. It's not just so studying on the university for, I don't know, 20 years and saying, like, I am a big agronome. I know if you get, like, three meters between those trees, they will grow up better. If you take two, two meters, they will grow better. It's not the issue of calculation mm -hmm. of meter. Issue, it's of cohabitation between species, and that indigenous peoples know it. From the Sahel, we know how to do it. Another example on a great green world in the Sahel. All the countries come together. It's a wonderful project. They want to restore and greening the Sahel. Since when they're talking about this project, how many trees that we see, how many meters of trees that we see, how many forests they see. I saw by my eyes the peoples that they displace it. 
And just uh, they took the land, they say they are going to replant the trees. Oh, I didn't know that. I saw also by my eyes the number of millions of trees that they planted, and then they paid people to go and put water on it for some months, and when they pocket empty, they can't pay those people to put water on those trees, the trees dead. So it's more criminalizing the environment than restoring. Don't make this kind of mistake. It's not a politic who can go out and plant the trees. It's not an administration who can calculate how they can plant the tree. Those who can plan and take care of the trees are the community. The only project in this big, great, grand world work is the project that they work with the communities who plant the trees and who take care of the trees and it's become a forest and then they benefit from it. It's create a job, it's create an economy, it's create a livelihood, and then it's restore them identity, and then it's work. But the big, that politic where the TV are behind or when they planted, it cannot work. They can't control the nature. They can't know when the rain season is going to be good or not. While they can control that, they cannot just irrigate the tree and make them work. And the last one in this, in many projects of restoring of trees, they say they found the trees who grow up on two years and become a big trees. And then they get them and then they plant them and then they have like a forest on two, three years. The end of the day, they destroy the ecosystem because those trees become a majority and then the other species cannot grow up there and those trees are not adapt to the land because they are stealing all the water underground and then they leave the peoples without the water and then it's not the ecosystem it's just a tree who do not give any life, any livelihood. So we have a lot of mistakes that we can learn on it. So indigenous peoples are the master of this environment and can give them the right information and how to do it. It's a matter of humanity, and we are ready to contribute with everyone and each, but they have to let us play our role properly as partners, not they give us a lesson. We give them a lesson. Beautifully said. I think you're absolutely on point as an ecologist. This is also something that I, the drumbeat that I that I have is just that a tree is not a tree is a tree. You have a specific ecosystem around an individual tree, and in that forest, you know, you recreate this the system, and you have to look at indigenous species, even if they don't grow as fast or as broad or have as such a, a drawdown of carbon a potential. It really has to be the regeneration of the ecosystem that becomes the end game. I'm glad you brought up your experience in Colombia. The president of Colombia has made this great commitment to uh, envision our urban landscapes as biodivert cities, so really integrating nature back into the urban landscape. And I think that's so important because we have this sense of where we live as being our home habitat. And if our home habitat 
now, and I guess if 80% of the population is eventually by 2050 going to be living in the urban landscape, if we think that our home habitat is comprised of sidewalks with maybe a few trees planted here and there, but, you know, high-rise mm-hmm. buildings and, you know, really artificial environments, maybe spotted with a few parks and so, then that's really a limited view on our habitat. That particular urban environment is somehow also dependent upon the surrounding natural landscape and on the agricultural production, which is outside the city or could be on the rooftop as well. But in any case, you know, we are always dependent upon the natural environment for our existence in all industries. And so I love the idea of expanding our view of what, you know, what our habitat is, that it's not just the boundary of the, of the urban landscape of our cities and, you know, specifically our home or our neighborhood, but actually a much larger environment, a much larger ecosystem. I'd just be interested to know more about what your thinking is for those people who live in an environment and maybe you think it's great that this is happening in Chad and Ethiopia and all these countries that are outside of my world and my habitat and my experience that they're doing this great green work and replanting trees. But share with us how every individual can think of themselves as a steward to the environment and learn from indigenous people about how to live in connection with nature. I think people living in the urban area need to learn how much they can benefit from the nature. I see that in uh, big towns like New York, Paris, when you go to London, they have a park in the cities. Who is going to the park? They take a children's outside to the park because all them life they are locked in this four-wall, call it apartment or whatever. And who is getting a garden in them home? The rich peoples. Every rich people want to buy a house where they can have a garden and get outside. And they're getting the most rich, they're getting a hundred of thousands of hectares. So if the world population understand the inequity that we are creating between rich and poor, and then how the nature is just a natural for everyone, you don't need to buy a hundred of thousands of hectares for only yourself and your family and leave the poor people to just benefit from the a small park where they can go and then work on each other and then kids playing from the each other. So we need to think about the new urbanizations. This people are living a lot now from the rural areas to the urban area because they want a new life, new job, they want TV, whatever. Education, so education, many things. So they centralize all the needs. The needs that they are coming for it in the town, give it to them where they are. Like in our communities, we don't have hospitals, we don't have schools, and if you have a primary school, you can get a secondary school, you can get a job, and then the job, they define it just so if you have your computer, you get your high heel, or you get your suit if you are a man, you go to the office, you sit down, you work, this is like a respectable work. No, value the small holders who is working in the land. Because you can sit in your office with your high-tech computer, with your $1,000 of suit. If these farmers didn't farm, you cannot get a food in your table. If you do not respect him at the same level that he's doing a very hard work, even you think you do a very hard work, 
it cannot benefit nature for everybody. And this is the inequity. So people need to see the nature is not only like being outside in a green space. The nature is the way of life. That's why I'm keeping saying we are a species of the nature because we need to live in harmony. So if we understand our respect, if we understand the respect of those who are left behind, who do not get the value and who are not valued, who do yeah. not get the honor, we are going to lose a lot. All the young people think that going to farms is not respectable enough. They wanted to go to the university in order to get a big office and run a big car and work. Mm -hmm. And this is quite interesting, too, because if most people in those urban landscapes and most of us, I guess, in the working world, spend 90% of our time indoors, then we're actually nature-deprived, and so in a sense and not living sick. in harmony, and we get sick. Lack of vitamins. Right, and I think actually there's something about urban environments where people are suffering, again, from anxiety and depression and aloneness, 20, 20 to 23%, I guess, is the, the current figure, where if they had sort of the nature prescription, the mm -hmm. um, ability to spend some time out in a forested environment along a river on the seashore so that... They should know, come and chat. Well, I was <laughs> going to say, and so you have, you have interesting sort of nature deprivation there and then those that are living, you know, in harmony with nature in, uh, you know, their, their work providing value through agriculture and, and farming. What's interesting is they're not only knowledge to understand how to take care of these environments, but also how to take care of yourself. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, to value that, I think we, it's true, we don't value so much the, the efforts that people who are providing food to us and our table and, and other, other nature services. And so I think that's been a, a large conversation here as well. I just want to, just to wrap this up, focus on Africa and new opportunities in Africa. There's a, an initiative also, there's a Generation Africa, where there are actually companies looking to invest in the sustainable infrastructures in the suburban and rural environments in Africa in order to, like you're suggesting, have people find value in, in their home and, and also connect them, I would say, to even if it's just a, a knowledge database to the Internet, because you rightfully said much earlier in our conversation that we really only 52% of the world population is connected to the Internet. So, you know, to have these videos and so play on the internet doesn't help the people that are living really in and dealing with, with issues of, of climate resilience. Or, how can businesses further support these initiatives um, that are really working to reach the, the young generation of entrepreneurs that are looking to be part of the economy and still live in their rural environment? I think Africa gets a lot of opportunities. Africa is the land of future is the land of present. And it is the land where you can develop a different kind of what we are calling a development. The entrepreneurs that we are having there who are at the local level, they are all young. They know the home. They know the needs of the communities. And they care about the home. Like when you are doing an Airbnb and then you want to, to, to run your house because you want to earn money, you're always checking of who is coming in your house. You're always setting a rules. And even you want to get this money, but you look for the person who do not destroy your land. So using the 
local entrepreneurs of Africa who can help to develop it, they can help to make a better design of the sustainable development of Africa by taking care of them home. When you take someone from Chad who wanted to change the life of his family, of his communities, and then you give him, you invest on him, you give him all the capacity that he needs, he will do that in double time, he will do that much cheaper, and he will do that for the long term. He cannot end the project when the project ends up already. He can find a way to continue that because he knows how much it's changing the life of the peoples. So that's why I like creating a partnership, not like giving the lesson to the African and coming and telling them, hey, we get a new technology. So now you want to get access on it, you buy it and you say it. And then if this technology break up, you don't have any solution. You have to again call back to your partners who is outside of Africa to come. No. Come to the Africa, give them the money, they have the brands as you, they are developing all the technology that they need, who is adapt. If this technology breaks, they know how to repair them and then build from what they have, build from what we have. And we have the traditional knowledge that we link into our cultural way of view of respect and we can build a better world and we can build a different way of sustainability. That's what's called sustainability. It's also a diversity. We don't want to have a same-looking technology around the world because it's not adapt to everyone and each. We need something who adapt and respect our culture, who can respect our identity, who cannot leave us take our elder peoples to the home where they're taking care of them, but who can continue to help us taking care of our old peoples where we can learn a lot from them because for us this is the only way to pass the knowledge through generation we cannot pass it through books or through university we always pass it through doctor to the mother to the grandmother and vice versa wonderful well you are just a celebration of cultural intelligence indigenous intelligence and it's really a pleasure to have you thank you so much for your time thank you so much <laughs> Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.